The spirit, though, for the work that we're interested in is maybe thinking beyond just that principle of height and thinking about the people who use it, the human relationships, the perspective on whether these places make your lives better, and whether there's other models to consider. Design principal at Softy Architects, started by Moshe Softy, who is known for a lot of things, but um, one of his most famous projects is Habitat 67. Google it, it's beautiful. Jaren is great, has been the project architect for the Hotel Garden Sky Park at Marina Bay Sands in Singapore, and most recently the design team leader for the Jewel Changi Airport beautiful stuff super diverse experience all across the board and mixed use commercial big stuff it's great he's also leading a research initiative called habitat of the future which investigates new vertical housing typologies that advocate for people and the surroundings we touch in more in the episode so he's a frequent writer and lecturer and has taught architecture at the harvard graduate school of design Do you want to know how we can rethink and redesign tall buildings? Do you want to know what policymakers and cities can learn from Singapore and Asia in general? Do you want to see how such a successful firm runs internally? Listen to find out. Jaren, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good morning. Okay, so uh, to start, I always want to sort of introduce the guests and get everyone comfortable with you. So where did you grow up and why architecture? Okay, so uh, I'm from Michigan. I grew up outside of Detroit in a place called Bloomfield Hills, um, about 40 minutes outside the city. Um my uh i come from a family of of like creative people and my father is an architect and i grew up you know uh watching him build uh houses and in his office making blueprints and drafting and all that and so i it was kind of natural i i I envied my father and and moved into this same kind of uh um, creative line of work. My mother's an artist and it was just kind of like always part of my life. And so, um, yeah, so Michigan and then, um, kind of moved around a bunch, uh, and, uh, lived in LA for a little bit, went to grad school in LA and then, uh, learned about, um, Moshe and the work that he was doing and, and through, um, some uh, advertising that the firm was doing about the way that they did research and I got super interested. So I shifted coasts and came to Boston and I've been here for the last uh, 15 years. That sounds great. I mean, I think you, um, you, you clearly had a leg ahead <laughs> and you also, I mean, I'm sure that's why you're so good at what you do is because you had that sort of lifelong 
exposure and experience and you've just been practicing and I'm sure there's been a lot of hard work in between. So you are now a principal at uh, Softy Architects. So, which it, they do so much insane work, you know. I mean, I think what's most applicable to this, our listeners, is Habitat 67, which is sort of a big, big deal. Um, but how was your experience there? And what do you think smaller town like design firms can learn from that? Sure. Like, you know, we do a lot of really kind of epically mega and large scale work, but actually the studio is designed kind of like a, like a, like a school studio like a graduate or kind of like a, well, like it, it's coming out of Moshe's experience working at Lucan's office and, and creating kind of atelier kind of Beaux-Arts environment, super old school um, in that way. We we're actually only, <clears throat> We, we work on very small teams and we create small teams and, and the biggest the office has ever been is like a hundred people in, in the last, uh, actually in its, since its inception, but any given project will only be like, you know, like six pretty young people working together, solving problems. And, um, so each project kind of feels like a small practice and we try to maintain that. Um, we're, we're able to do really large work by partnering with executive firms in the places where we're working. We're working often around the world. And so we also have this like really interesting way of putting super young people in positions of extreme uh, authority because, you know, Moshe built, designed and built Habitat from the ages of like 24 to 27. And that's, I mean, to use your word, that's insane. Um, way. I mean, not only think about like what it takes to do something fresh and new and, and like, you know, visionary, but like to have the way about yourself and to like, um, when I speak to him, you know, there was a lot of people, he says, who were thinking about ideas like Habitat in the sixties, but, um, he did it, you know, and yeah, he actually did it. And so even, so it's not like he was this, I mean, he is a really, uh, he's super smart, um, but he's got the charisma and he's got, you know, there's this way of, well, anyways, I, I've digressed. Young people. No, no, don't, don't worry about it. You go anywhere you want. I have like a <laughs> way about me um, circling around things. So the um, young people will be given positions of authority like he had. Um, that finally got to that part of the story. And so, for instance, we'll put um, team members who were part of like a, the conception of a project in the position to take that story and that work that they've done to places like Chongqing or Singapore or Colombia or Ecuador. And so you'll be on the ground working with the builders and working with the engineers and, and we we have tremendous faith in our, in our, in the people who work with us to, um, to, you know, carry out these projects. So you get a lot of like, um, you get thrown into it and, and, you know, you're surrounded by people. So who are really smart too, our, our teams of engineers and other related designers, landscape architects and, um, environmental engineers are all super smart. So like we all get together kind of like a family and we, 
we we deliver. So it's it's kind of a fun. It's it, I would call the experience here really intense. Um, I can't deny that. Um, the, but we because we're doing these large scale things, yeah. the timelines are really quick, and um, you know there's like shifting sands all the time with the politics of mm. their project. It, it can be quite complex. Uh, yeah. A lot complex, like, like kind of a cool uh, reality TV show, but um, <laughs> it's just, you know, everybody, everybody's yeah, here sure. is like excited to and passionate about architecture. And that's one common theme amongst everyone who's in the yeah. farm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I like how you brought up how um, started the firm started young and is advocating for young people. Um, yeah, I think that's important to like give them the responsibility and I'm sure their IQ shoots to the roof um, just <laughs> giving them that responsibility uh, and sounds like they need it because you're working on some really crazy things. And I like how there's sort of a lot of trust. You brought that up. I mean, a lot of people, it sounds like you guys all are really good at working together, which is uh, super important and trust people to go through with their work. Rock on. Cool. So um, you recently had a um, presentation at the Council uh, for Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat Conference. So, And I wanted to talk about in that um, presentation how you're rethinking large buildings um, to be more humane. Yeah, uh, that that's like a real preoccupation, a kind of obsession of our, our office. And um, I uh, and mine, uh, I kind of have a personal interest in this, um, looking back and looking forward. I'm personally motivated by uh, both Moshe's visions of, you know, rethinking the apartment building, but also like the visionary thinking of the 60s in particular and, and um, Buckminster Fuller, Yona Friedman, and the kind of like super badass thinkers. Uh, totally. In, uh, um, Paul Rudolph's uh, reimagining of like city structures. And yeah. I think that it's kind of sad. Uh, and, and this is like my, both my own opinion, but also kind of reflecting on the, on the position of the practice and how we think about um, tall buildings and mixed use structures in the city. It's kind of sad that the common denominator, the kind of way that most people talk about tall buildings about how tall they are. Even the CTBOH, um, it was historically created to like measure and rank who's the tallest, which seems kind of ludicrous to us. And yeah, so it was like what gets measured gets managed, you know, like now it's raced to the highest. Yeah, and certainly there, that's interesting. And there's all these engineering marvels out there, including ones that we've created too. Um, the, Spirit, though, for the work that we're interested in is maybe thinking beyond um, just that principle of height and thinking about like the people who use it, the human relationships, the perspective on whether these places make your lives better and whether there's other models to consider uh, aside from an extrusion. Because, you know, you look at the history or the kind of, the, I mean, the tall building typology is fairly youthful. It's kind of like um, us, um, we're young. And I think that, um, you know, you look at how cities emerge um, historically and they've, they've emerged slowly. They've emer like we kind of found our way through kind of 
manipulating other building typologies over time. And I think we'll find a way through the tall building too. I mean, so for instance, you know, why only vertical? Why not think about this more three-dimensionally? Why not think about the, the tall building from the inside out in, in like just so many radical things you can do and rethinking a particular unit plan, just, just for instance. And, and how also can you like break it open so that it's, there's like less of a distinction between interior and exterior. That, I mean, my, my talk at, at, at CTBOH this um, uh, uh, recently was actually looking also at the relationship of, let's say, living in the city relative to where we are in the current context of COVID and this like really particularly disturbing time where we're all kind of locked up inside of our homes and it's really challenging to like interact with other human beings and other people. We're all Zooming and nobody even knew what Zooming was a couple months ago and now we're all Zooming. And so back to the, um, if you can imagine or reimagine a building where you live to have um, access to like wonderful outdoor spaces. Even if you were to live in a small apartment, I'm not saying that you need to live in a luxury large space, but that you can like value quality space over quantity of space. And like, so for instance, let's say you lived in like a 30 meters, 30 square meter home, but apartment, but then you had access to like these wonderful communal parks where you can go meet your neighbors and it could be much more yeah. like you know everyone and you like go down to the bodega on the first floor and you say hello and you go up to the 30th floor and you meet you know and you walk your dog or whatever and and you go up to the 60th floor and you get this like commanding view of the city and yeah I, you know onward and onward. yeah so, no, i agree i think there's so much room for um like design innovation in that area for um yeah creating spaces vertically that um are more like i guess for yeah more people focused and i'm i'm you're obviously at the forefront of this and you're working on this directly i yeah i think um that's there's gonna be a lot of big changes there that i'm sure are gonna be um super helpful and yeah i mean it's just such a um useful interesting challenge that i um i'm that's really really cool so, okay. You do a lot of work in Asia. Um, I know you've been working on that. Um, you've been working on the Sky Park and Marina Bay, um, the Garden Sky Park and Marina Bay Sands Hotel, right? In Singapore. What can you learn from city building or building in Asia? Yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, we won the competition to build a huge project in Singapore called the Marina Bay Sands which has this like amazing and interesting horizontal park on the top. And it was the it's crazy to, to work on that project and be on the job site and, and learn a lot from not only the, like I was talking about, I mean, I was one of those people. I went to Asia and I learned a lot and I met a lot of really interesting people who taught me many things. So, um, but, but that, Aside from the experience working on the particular project, I learned a lot from Singapore in particular. And there, the lessons learned there, I've been, let's say, um, really inspired by for, like, you know, for all the writing that um, we've been doing and the kind of teaching we're doing. And so 
what they do in Singapore is because they're land scarce, they're an island, they're, they have a finite amount of space. That, so they plan really carefully. Mm. And, I, you know, I like thinking about the future and they, they're, yeah. they're totally mapping out 30, 40, 50 years ahead and learning from um, the world and kind of synthesizing that. They have a government authority called the URA, super smart people. A lot of friends of ours are working there. And, and so they're driving a really thought through projection of what the possible futures of Singapore could be. And it's constantly changing too. And so it's from the mm. policy side and even the government side that we learned that um, those can reinforce really cool ideas that an architect or a designer might bring to the table. And in fact, when you're working in an environment where there's incentives that are put out by the government, it's like really sophisticated zoning, both at ground level and in the sky, um, to encourage, um, let's say, creative thinking about what a what like a tower can be, hmm. then it doesn't take um, a firm of exceptional creative merit to 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 rethink the apartment building. It's just what you do, and um, so when everyone follows these. Um, criteria for incentives and, and, and et cetera, everyone wins. And the city skyline like really quickly evolves to be something that's um, something like you, you haven't seen before. And so I bring these ideas back to the US and, and aside from the work we're doing in Singapore, um, and we're really excited about how we can create these kind of dynamics between policymakers and the design profession, urban designers, et cetera. And um, I'll tell you, it, it's kind of a challenge, but um, yeah. it's really yeah. kind of a thing. I was going to say, it's sort of like, it's almost like a battle you know, between uh, like trying to get your design out there and the government. So like to have that flipped and thanks for sharing that, like in Singapore to, have incentive to push you to be better creatively and to build something exciting. Wow. That's a totally different dynamic. <laughs> we clearly have a lot to work on. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you a quick example. Just yeah. um, we're doing this. We, we finished this project called sky habitat in Singapore and, and my, my partner in Singapore, Chiru, she, she and I work really carefully back and forth between the U S and Singapore on these things. And um, the, uh, the entire project is like, first of all, it's called Sky Habitat, not our name. The client really liked that name. Um, and, and it's entirely <laughs> stepped along the facade and it's doing all the things that, you know, we talk about with where you're providing communal spaces and multiplying the ground plane and creating like a really unique type of tower that you haven't really seen before. And the thing is, is that while the principles of that project are driven from like a legacy of thinking and design work from our practice, it's also totally matching programs that they already have in place. So for instance, anytime in Singapore that you have a terrace that's open to above, you can have um, that exempted from your overall GFA from the project. Hmm. So, uh, and, and there's other rules as well to create like these sky decks and open um, void decks. And so you create these, um, unique opportunities for communal spaces and for indoor outdoor, but it's also an incentive to the developer because they can build more if they do those things. Mm. Yeah. 
yeah, that's, that's smart. <laughs> Sounds like they've really thought this out and yeah, they're, I like how you also brought up the time scale of their thinking, like just way ahead in the future. Um, yeah, I think that's really, really important. Wow. Cool. Exciting. So this is a question, my next one. Um, it's sort of, it's the classic, I guess, but what sort of failure do you most remember or your biggest? And what did you take away from that? I love this. I, I'm sure actually, there's a million too. It's hard. I mean, we're all struggling, you know? No, I think actually we're always like, I, I always tell everyone, I like to say, um, like we're always making lemonade. Like every day there's a challenge that seems impossible. Like, Oh man, we didn't see that coming there, or there's a new parameter or hurdle that we have to overcome. And we just have to sit down again and change course and just do it and find a way to design around it. I mean, I, that's one kind of answer, I guess. I, another one is like, we're constantly failing because we're doing competitions all the time and you can't win every, you can't win many competitions. And so some of, like some of these epic and interesting projects that uh, we spend so much time on, people will never see. Um, and so uh, anyways, we're, uh, some of the work that I'm most excited about is the work that is just the things that we're playing around with. Luckily enough, the way we work is that just because we lose a competition, it doesn't, that idea doesn't like fall out. We're, we're continually testing and, and yeah. proving out these ideas, just waiting for the right moments. Yeah. And I think that's sort of leading into the last um, question I want to talk about. So I know, so you've been working on Habitat of the Future, right? Can we talk about like, what is that? Where did it come from? And then how is that? How are some of those ideas starting to play out? You know, yeah, sure. that was I, a lot I, of questions, I, but the, the, um, Habitat of the Future started formally, let's say 15 years ago. We, um, my partner, Chris Mulvey and Moshe, they had this idea to kind of formalize this way of doing research by bringing people from outside the office into the office, young people to think about ideas that we think about all the time, but not within the constraints of a regular project, but, um, kind of freely or more freely. And so taking the, obsessions of thinking um, over 50 years of time on Habitat and um, inviting young folks over to kind of think about, okay, what if you went taller? What if you went denser? What if you went like more zigzaggy? What if you went, you know, what if you could create duplexes in the air that are like flying around? How can you like maximize the potential of, uh, or the efficiency? Um, and, and, and it would get very real to, you know, we bring in our friends who are helping us on other work, like let's say um, our friends in Hong Kong who are like vertical transportation experts and they'll come in and they'll say, oh, okay, well, you know, have you thought about this? And um, so, but it's, but it's not, but it's kind of grown from a, like a formal um, appointment of people to think about these things to just a way of thinking in the practice. And so then current, and, and, and of course, these ideas like Habitat of the Future have made possible the project I was talking about, like Scott Habitat. These were taking some of the um, conceptual ideas that were developed there and like making them real on a real site with a real developer, a real program. I think our next um, 
project, the thing that we're all really excited about is um, is larger scale. It's about clusters of towers. It's taking the principles of habitat and and bringing it to the city center. And so, for instance, we'll take a a site like Hudson Yards in New York, and we'll say um, like that. I mean, we're kind of open about it. That could have been more humane. Um, it could have been more of New York. It could have, um, it's certainly an engineering marvel, but is it really demonstrating what we can do as architects and urban designers and thinkers today? Um, and, and, or does it just continue the typologies of, of these kind of extrusion towers kind of um, positions side by side? Um, and so we've actually been rethinking uh, what Moshe has dubbed like the garden city in three dimensions. And uh, what does that mean? We kind of don't know yet. Um, like anytime we try to depict it without a real project, and, and we do have a couple projects on the boards right now where we're really working this, like that the horizontal and the vertical are given much more even weight. But, you know, it's it's kind of at this point where it can be spoken about like through a painting, like we'll look at a Mondrian painting and we'll say like, okay, well, maybe that's the most expressive way of talking about this idea yeah. because it's so fresh and so new. Um, and certainly there's a lot of obstacles because, uh, you know, uh, connecting between different towers and um, building public spaces and communal spaces at multiple levels above the ground, um, there's, it's not your status quo. And um, so it's not, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a challenge um, to, convey these ideas and to um and to move them ahead but but certainly we'll keep we'll keep pushing i mean that's that's our that's our thing yeah yeah i mean it's it's beautiful stuff like um just so i get this like five different typologies sort of how do you uh orient like vertical and i guess now you're starting to think more like pull them out horizontal? How do you introduce green space among, I'm sure a thousand other things that you're trying to incorporate? Um, I'll definitely link to this stuff. It's, it's beautiful work. Um, nice job. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, that's really exciting. I'm sure there's a lot of great things are going to come out of that. So, okay. Well, I think that's most of what I have for you today. Is there anything else you'd like to share, Jaron? Um, no, it's been fun. We like we always love connecting. I mean, it's like fun to talk to other human beings. Uh, yeah. when <laughs> these days, uh, quarantine mode, and uh, yeah, I I really like the. I listened to a bunch of your podcasts over the last Thank couple you. weeks, and I really like what you're up to. It's really fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm trying to take a different approach. It's more about how places feel than how they look. I think like. Yeah, no, and, like yeah. That's totally it. It like why why is it that we're so fascinated with what the outside of a building looks like rather than like yeah, you know, you're you've got five hundred families living in the building if mm-hmm. they're all miserable, you know, yeah, and they're all like uncomfortable. That's like we're we've got it all backwards. Definitely, I think we all. I think now is the time where people are more open to that idea of being at home. Uh, we're definitely, I think it's an opportunity to start pushing some of these ideas, like, you know, how people feel and use a space can be 
um, maybe more important, you know, I think it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a definitely a big change. And yeah, I mean, there's people on all sides of this, um, working. So from the city scale to the room scale, there's so much room for this. So yeah, it's an exciting, exciting thing and who knows what's going to happen. So, okay. How can people get in contact with you or see your work? Well, uh, check out, uh, the World Wide Web, and uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we, the website is like a good resource. We not only does the our website optiarchitects.com have our like some of the recent products we're some of the recent lectures we're doing and the writing we're doing, but there's there's an archive that you can go through um, in kind of one of the corners, and the archive is a collection of some of the like greatest hits of fifty years of practice that we've we've we hold digitally and it's kind of a fun little adventure. Wow. Insane. Cool. Yeah. I'll definitely link to everything in the show notes. So exciting, exciting. Cool. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's been a pleasure. Thank thank you. you. Hey guys, that is all. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, just send human city podcast at gmail.com. Or you could hit me up at Twitter at HumanCityPod or even Instagram at Human.City. I love listening. I love hearing it. Please, guys, absolutely anything. I'd love to talk. And that is it. I'm Stig. Goodbye, goodbye.